Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker. It's Una Joe. Now, Una is a PhD candidate in the government department at the Cornell University, and an incoming 2022 and 2023 pre-doctoral fellow at the Institute for Security and Conflict Studies at George Washington University. Again, if you follow her work, her latest article is called. Japan and South Korea are still haunted by the past, confronting a legacy of forced and failed reconciliation. Una, and welcome to the missing piece. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, Una, the pleasure's all mine. Now let's get to the questions again. As we mentioned before, initially when I discovered you, because this amazing article that you wrote. Now your article seems very interesting. You say Japan and South Korea are still haunted by the past, and we know that both leaders from the two countries recently came back from attending the G20 summit. So help us to understand what do you mean that both countries are still haunted by the past, despite the fact. That we are living in the year of 2022, and everything seems so unpredictable and unstable. Yeah, so I think most observers would agree that political ties between the two nations have been strained.、Uh, this is particularly so since 2017, when court rulings in South Korea on the forced labor issue triggered a downward、uh, spiral in bilateral relations. You might recall Japan retaliated by imposing export bans of key chemicals、uh, used by South Korea's semiconductor industry, and removed South Korea from its white list of preferential trading partners.、Um, and South Korea responded in kind, and even you know threatened to repeal the trilateral military intelligence sharing agreement, which is called GSAMIA. And this was eventually renewed, but the domestic debates over this decision was very contentious at the time.、Mm-hmm. So the diplomatic deadlock between the two countries have essentially persisted since、um, there have been very little resolution to the court rulings and the breakdown of the 2015 bilateral deal to address the comfort women issue,、uh, which former President Moon Jae-in criticized as lacking. Uh, procedural democratic legitimacy, and I think that was、uh, widely resonant among the public as well.、Mm. Now, you know,、um, Una. Again, as we mentioned before, both Japan and South Korea are considerably speaking as economic partners with the U.S. And of course, that during the last time when sitting U.S. President Joe Biden made his trip to Asia, and he actually met up with. Uh, both leaders and also had in-depth conversations with them. Now let's go back to the two countries. As you mentioned before, history tend to remind us that how far we have come, not only politically speaking but also economically speaking. But why is it matter today that when we look at those two countries, it still let's talk about the historical facts or let's talk about some of the unforgivable memories? Why is it important for us to address that today? Can't is it possible for us to move on to the new chapter or move on to the new stage? So I think it is possible to move on to the new stage, but if we are talking about true forgiveness or you know healing of the wounds. You do have to go back to the history and address the root of the problem, which, in the case of South Korea and Japan, in my view, are twofold. The first is that there is just 
growing divergence of historical narratives between the two countries um, about not just what transpired, but what it means today. And the second is the domestic political incentives in each country to pursue more nationalistic and, and more antagonistic versions of the history. Um, so key difference between uh, their narratives I think lies in the nature and scope of prior agreements and history issues, mainly the um, 1965 Normalization Treaty and the claimant agreement uh, therein. The Japanese have time and again claimed that the treaty has finally and completely settled all issues of apology and reparations. Mm. And this was also the language that the two countries used uh, to describe the 2015 Comfort Women deal. But in South Korea, the story is very different. Mm -hmm. um, for them, the normalization treaty and the claim agreement uh, had been forced by the country's then dictator, Park Jong-hee. And in fact, there are historical records that provide various evidence to support this claim, showing that popular demonstrations against the treaty had been quite extensive. Mm. Um, this is partly why the court rulings in 2017 suggested that individuals um, so individual victims can pursue redress separate from any prior sort of government-to-government -government settlements uh, involving historical injustices. Um, I think at the same time, the domestic political environment in each country today seems to be inspiring further hostilities. Mm. So in Japan, um, the conservatives, particularly under the uh, leadership of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, have pursued historical revisionism. They, these scandals just have been so numerous, right? High-ranking politicians continue to visit the Yasukuni Shrine, which also happens to honor uh, Class A war criminals. Mm. The governments also authorized further revisions to the history textbooks, which whitewashed Japanese colonial and wartime crimes and also glorified some imperial crime. Uh, meanwhile, in South Korea, any initiative to deepen ties with Japan can be framed as illegitimate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I wrote in the, in the commentary in Foreign Affairs, this is especially so for the conservatives who have historical lineages to collaboration during the colonial era, um, and also collusion during the authoritarian period. Mm -hmm. And the progressives have mobilize this checkered history to undermine their political opponents but in many ways they have also become bound by their own narrative weapon so i would say partisan polarization in south korea um has has worsened the prospects of reaching an understanding with japan that allow them to move forward as you say so Una, again putting ourselves in the shoes for the south koreans again as you mentioned before Individually speaking, that citizens or some citizens are not satisfied with what the law or what Japan to, uh, agreed upon. Now, my next question to Mayor Simple is, individually speaking, what kind of response or what kind of response is considered as appropriate or acceptable to South Koreans? So in other words, individually speaking, we know that there's no compromise to the history and there is no compromise to the victims now when we look at in a realistic way so what kind of response or what kind of uh, uh result 
is the South Korean citizen looking for when it comes to the historical evidence or historical abusive relationship? I'm not sure that there is one particular deal that will be acceptable to all South Koreans. But what I do know, and which I point out in the article too, is that any deal uh, with Japan has to have procedural legitimacy. I think many of the deals that were previously forged have gotten criticisms of collusion, partly because they were these kind of um, uh, you know hidden deals that just came as surprise packs and announced to the public as, as a breakthrough, which did not resonate with many with neither the victims nor the public. So um, from the South Korean perspective, I would say, you know, people will have different demands um, for forgiving, uh, for forgiveness. But in general, they will agree that any attempts to re-engage Japan on the history issues will have to have uh, thorough public consultation and especially consultation of the victim support groups. Hmm. Yuna, I want to move on to the next part of the conversation. Again, going back to the article, you mentioned the newly elected South Korean president that right now he's facing this social and also this political jeopardy by looking at there are and according to your article you mentioned there are some pro-japan groups and also there are some anti-japan groups now he promised to fulfill this duty to bring uh, the groups together or at least to shorten the gaps between those pro-japan and anti-japan um activists now is it still promising for him to do so or that was only part of the lip service during his campaign for, uh, to be the next president of south korea what do you make of that well i'm not sure that he's making much of an effort to bridge the gap uh, between these groups um, so far my impression is that he's looking for a more sort of convenient shortcut to mend ties with Japan mm. without much deeper attention to the domestic political fragmentation over this issue. Um, so his administration has taken a couple of uh, what what it might be or missteps in, in this process. So for instance, um, while it was encouraging that they launched a public-private joint council on the forced labor issue to consult the victims, the administration has also at the same time pressured the court to prevent the liquidation of Japanese companies' assets, mm -hmm. um, completely blindsiding the victim support groups. Um, aside from the fact that this could be seen as a violation of the separation of powers and so on, um, this just did not um, appear to be in the interest of the victims that you know the group was purportedly launched for. And at the same time, there's also been rumors of a potential proposal in which South Korean companies would be asked to compensate the claimants on Japanese behalf. Um, I think all of these moves the, uh, and rumors only help to bolster and validate existing criticisms that Yoon, uh, is, President Yoon is simply preoccupied with a diplomatic breakthrough with Japan rather than facilitating a genuine reckoning over history issues in South Korea. Um, I also want to add that, you know, Yoon's approach is not new mm. um, and has not uh, been very successful. 
Mm-hmm. So his calls for a future-oriented relationship harken back to the late 1990s when the two countries had made meaningful progress in bilateral relations. But it isn't a coincidence that this was achieved under South Korea's progressive president, Kim Dae-jung. And I think as a conservative president, and given the current state of political polarization, um, you carries a historical burden that progressives generally do not, um, which will uh, come to frustrate his efforts. Mm. And in, in fact, uh, every conservative president following the country's democratic transition has sought to bolster cooperation with Japan and you know, they've all faced accusations of collusion. Um, I mentioned Lino Bak, who failed to sign the military intelligence sharing agreement uh, with Japan. He ends up orchestrating this whole surprise visit to Dokdo, um, the disputed territory in the East Sea. Um, and it's also true of Park who, you know, rushed the deals with Japan on the comfort women issue, and I think this played a non-negligible part mm. in her eventual ouster for corruption. Mm. So, um, all that's to say, I don't see real effort to bridge the domestic divisions in South Korea on this issue, which I also think has implications for the bilateral divisions with Japan. You know, you know, one thing we know that domestically speaking, not only for Japan but also for South Korea. This political tension is getting a lot more uh, attractions, and again, those countries, particularly two countries for Japan and South Korea, are actually making a lot more effort in terms of when we look at global projects. And I think this is something you also uh, touch on in article as well. For example, we talk about climate change, we talk about global health, and we talk about military cooperation, trade relationship, etc. Now, you know, my next question is. Without solving the conflict between Japan and South Korea, how could these projects proceed forward? So in other words, we know that not only for China, but also for U.S. or for any other uh, critical players. Now, when we look at climate change, look at global health and look at the trade economic relationship, everyone is important and everyone matters at this moment. But if we can solve the issues between South Korea and Japan, how could we believe that joint effort will ever become effective when it comes to those critical projects? I think there have been meaningful collaboration between the two countries on these global challenges. I do think that there are uh, there is a lot more that mm. they could do. And in many ways, the uh, historical issues have frustrated their relationship from reaching uh, a maturity that could be expected of two neighboring democracies that are also two uh, U.S. allies. Um, you know, their trade relationship has suffered greatly from this recent feud over history issues and still have not been fully recovered. Um, you mentioned trilateral cooperation, particularly in the military domain has also been tricky to advance, too. Um, I think the, the recent provocations from North Korea and um, broader concerns about China's rise, mm. all these things have provided incentives to deepen their cooperation. Uh, but we, we know from past experience that these ties can be easily weaponized when history issues flare up again. Mm. 
So in some ways, you know, joint efforts on global challenges have continued to um, uh, continue to emerge. It's just that there are constraints on how um, stable and institutionalized those efforts can be in facing uh, these bilateral issues. You know, the United States um, uh, has historically played a really important role mm -hmm. in, in promoting this partnership, and I've seen a lot of commentaries on what the U.S. Uh, should do um, mm -hmm. to help the two U.S. allies improve their relations. I don't think American role has always um, had a positive impact. Mm. There's uh, a certain narrative in South Korea that the United States is at least partly responsible for the past, you know, faulty agreements with Japan, and that true reconciliation was impeded by American forces uh, because they, they tried to rehabilitate post-war Japan um, to face uh, the communist forces. And I think in South Korea, especially, this view is compounded by another strand of the narrative, which also sees the United States as culpable for the enduring division uh, on the Korean Peninsula, um, or for the you know many decades of violent dictatorial rule in South Korea. So I think um, collaboration is very important, and you know there there are many things that South Korea and Japan can do. Um, when it comes to the American role, in my view, um, it may do more harm than good for the United States to appear too forceful or meddlesome um, in its call for the two allies to improve ties. Mm. You know, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, I'm very glad that you brought North Korea into the conversation. Now, let's talk about North Korea. We know that recently North Korea has been very active in terms of missile testing and continuation of its nuclear weapon development. And of course, that uh, during the G20 summit, that both China and the U.S. and also many other countries address the existing existing threat of North Korea. But to, particularly, it's a very concerning to Japan, also to South Korea at this moment. You know, historically speaking, uh, if I remember correctly, the former president of South Korea, Moon Jae in actually met up with Kim Jong-un more than once and to talk about the country's relationship diplomatically and also politically and hoping that this country can dial down on this missile testing and also on this nuclear weapon development. But as the war in Ukraine escalated and we have not seen any resolution or have not seen at least any compromise from the North Korean side. So from your perspective, Una, now in order to counter or in order to I want to be careful to prepare a better reaction um, as we're looking at North Korea's ongoing missile testing and also other existing threat. How could Japan and South Korea collaborate and also the U.S. collaborate together in order to make sure that North Korea will not, at least we hope and I pray, will not become a major threat for the relationship or at least for the international community. What do you think? I think definitely trilateral military cooperation in this regard has improved um, on the question of how do we prevent the North Koreans from, uh, not North Koreans, North Korea from becoming a major threat to international security. I think it already is. Um, so the, uh, you know, 
in terms of conducting joint military exercises, maintaining an institutionalized routine um, for intelligence sharing, all these things are important. And uh, what in terms of South Korea and Japan could do so so that history issues do not impede these processes that are already um, uh, in place. Uh, I think that's maybe a tougher issue to address mm-hmm. um, simply because of how fought uh, and deeply entrenched these grievances are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I you know I don't think they need a full resolution to these history issues in order for them to deepen collaboration. I know this, um, uh, many people disagree with me on this, but I, I do not believe, for instance, that forgiveness is necessary mm. for any set of countries to collaborate on issues of common threat. Mm. Um, and I also think that what is demanded of forgiveness can change over time and that there may never be total forgiveness. But in spite of that, I think there are ways uh, to forge collaboration. And I think that will be the key task for South Korea and Japan to um, figure out. Una, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to the last question. Again, your article is called Confronting a Legacy of Forced and Failed Reconciliation. Now, move forward. As we mentioned before, the G20 summit just got wrapped up quickly. And I would say for every single leader, not only for Japan, for South Korea, and for every other countries, seem to be very productive and fruitful. But meanwhile, the economy is still worries a lot of people. I mean, again, not only for uh, South Koreans, for Japanese, but also around the world. Now, from your perspective, uh, briefly help us to understand how do you think that South Korea and Japan can work collaboratively or invite other important actors as well in order to move on or in order to continue the progress of this global economic agenda? How do you think it's going to work? So I don't think I'm the right person to answer on the um, sort of geoeconomic side of, of the collaboration, but I can speak to what can South Korea and Japan do on, uh, on these history issues to shape bilateral sure relations in a more mm. constructive way. Um, I think I've suggested that, you know, they should try a few things to help rein in historical revisionism and identify boundaries of reasonable disagreement, uh, mm. whether that has to do with what one can say or uh, what one can do. I think one thing um, that that could help is to institute a moratorium mm-hmm. on unilateral changes to history textbooks. Um, this just has been such a constant trigger for controversy in bilateral relations. And I do think that, uh, uh, you know, better coordination on this uh, could definitely tame um, public anger. Another is to create exchange programs for legal scholars and historians. Um, I've always felt that there are specific, you know, ambiguities within these treaties and, and agreements that have um, time and again uh, sort of impeded mutual understandings of each other's positions. Um, I think these programs could help clarify these historical ambiguities and perhaps um, give each side a better understanding of the other's position. Um, they might also consider promoting civil society mm-hmm. uh, efforts. 
to build the joint mechanism for commemoration. And I I know that the all these um, ideas will probably be insufficient for forging, you know, forgiveness, um, but this may just allow the two countries to navigate their contested history a little better um, and to, as you say, um, you know, bolster collaboration in the face of such a uh, changing world. Mm. Well, you know, uh, one thing we have to say that despite this political disagreement, but when we look at this today, how the world is running, politically speaking, and also economically speaking, as we mentioned before, every single country is contributing and also every single country actually matters, not just to the domestic audience, but to the entire international community. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Yuna Zhou. And Yuna, it's a PhD candidate in the government department at Cornell University. And also she's interested in political narratives, memory, and the domestic politics of international relations with a focus on East Asia. And I strongly encourage everyone to go online to check out her latest article. It's called Japan and South Korea are still haunted by the past, confronting a legacy of forced and failed reconciliation. Now, Yuna, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and we'd love to have you back on the show again as we continue to pay attention to the international community. Thank you, Yuna.